Are we starting to record first, or are we going to spin it on there? Um, we can spin it on there. Okay. Well, I feel like that was the same question, the same answer. <laughs> are we going to start to record first, or are we going to spin it on there? <laughs> Sorry. <That was. laughs> it really was, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, um, oh. That was like Chewbacca. <laughs> what is it, Chewbacca? <laughs> I didn't mean for it to do that. I'm glad we're not recording that. That sounded really weird. We are recording that. Okay. Oh, we are? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I can reenact that. Surprise. Try it. That's kind of cool. Have you ever it was, done... It was amazing. Have you done that before? I mean, I do like my like groan. You guys hear it on the podcast. I'm like, uh... But it like rattled like, perfectly. Rona, is that you? <laughs> Did you bring your inhaler? No, I forgot. Wait, you let me text me next. <laughs> I just, we just. Uh... <laughs> okay, that was worse. That was. <laughs> that ain't it. That ain't it. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Oh gosh, first time was just a unicorn. I think. <laughs> Will never happen again. Have you ever chewbacca before? No, I've never chewbacca It was incredible. You was just like kind of right went with it. Tone and everything. I was, was really impressed. I'm very impressed with myself. I'm, like, I'm going to be practicing on the way home. I'm going to be like, eh. Evan's going to be like, what is wrong with you? Dude, you'll never understand. I'm the I had the unicorn Chewbacca. Chewbacca. I gotta practice it. <laughs> gotta be able to do it on command. Well, now the unicorn Chewbacca has got to be included in the in the preface to the. <laughs> I'm glad I was recording. I will name the title of the show the unicorn Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> God. Okay. I'm laughing too much now, so it's not going to come out right. <laughs> now you sound special. <laughs> I know, that was bad. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey guys. Hello. I did Hi. so good. You did. did excellent. Thank you. Look you at me. You did excellent. Thank we didn't you. even practice. I know. I'm Being so restrained. <laughs> nailing it now from here on out. Always. Always. <laughs> I just going to be from here on out. Live to exceed expectations. Do you guys watch that show on Netflix, Nailed It? <clears throat> I tried. Oh, yes, I do. I think it's hilarious. I, I, I tried. Nicole is my spirit animal. I animal. love her so much. And my, ki- my kids can watch with me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there have been a few episodes that have really really gotten to me and made me laugh really hard. <laughs> yes <laughs> it is a funny show mostly because that's how i am in the kitchen i'm terrible <laughs> so like, i can relate <laughs> to these horrific images of cakes <laughs> it makes me like it gives me secondhand anxiety watching it because i'm like oh my gosh i um, wouldn't even know where to start it's so it's just well yeah i mean i guess that's the funny part of it but yeah i mean the I end result it. i mean actually half the time i'm like you know Hats off. I feel like they do a lot better than I would do. I feel like it's a really short amount of time and a lot of pressure to make these amazing cakes that I just I think even everything try. mostly turns out <clears throat> terribly and it's hilarious. I think 
her and Jacques and mm-hmm. whoever their guest, their reactions just make the show. I love it. Especially when they try to eat it and it's <gasps> inedible. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically how it would be with me my kids don't even ask me to bake anymore they just know oh that's so sad that is sad well you know it is what it is <laughs> i forgot to open my drink oh here we go <clears throat> oh listen to that sound is that the same thing as the bottle yeah. version Ooh, i didn't know they came in can version can smirnoff red white and berry fourth of july mm. hashtag america hashtag america's favorite drink <laughs> It is pretty good. So was that what was in the um, martini that was in tonight? It looks similar. So they have a vodka version. Oh, okay. So right. the red, white, and berry vodka was in our blue raspberry martini. Yes. I missed out on the blue raspberry martini. You missed out on it. It was delicious. No. Shoot. I can make another. <clears throat> Don't okay. worry. Let's make another one because was it was tonight. delightful and it could explain why I'm a little more sauced than... When and Sarah and I are drinking Trulies, they the go-to. are always... It's either a White Claw or a Truly... No. They have a problem. You know we what? like drinks that are low calorie, but also delicious. Also, I drive um, an Acadia and I want to speak to everybody's manager. So just call me Karen. <laughs> 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 she had to say that when I was taking a drink. <laughs> I accidentally, did I tell you guys about how I was accidentally a Karen? No. You told me and I okay. loved it. So at restaurants oh, now, you can yes, dine in. Tell us. I'll tell, tell us that story. Yeah. <laughs> at restaurants now, you guys can dine in. Um, <laughs> and they have so many tables spaced out, but you can only have six people at a table, mm-hmm. which my family is um, six people. So one of our teens stayed at home. So there was five of us and we met my brother and his girlfriend for lunch. So there were seven of us. And so we walk in and she's like, oh, it's only six to a table. And I was like, but five of us are part of a family and like this is my brother mm-hmm. <laughs> and his girlfriend like we've been close and she's like mm, yes but it's still six to a table and i just like two of my kids are they're four mm-hmm. i count them as one person because yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. twins and i was like is there anything you can do about it like i didn't say i want to talk to your manager or anything i just said is there anything you can do and she goes let that's me go basically talk. saying, can I, I talk to your manager? <laughs> Who's in charge here? How can we resolve this issue? Yes, that's you a good way of putting it. fix this problem, is what you're saying. <laughs> and she goes, let me go talk to my manager. So she walks off, and my brother just looks at me, and he goes, okay, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt terrible, because I am, you guys can vouch for me, I am not a Karen. I, like, would never want to talk that's to anybody's manager. To make ourselves feel better. But I think we all have a little bit of Karen. We, I us. mean, yeah. I feel it's like. Fine. I don't know. If I was out at a restaurant, I would sit in the dumpster and not say, say a word. She, probably hide in her car before she said anything. I wouldn't say anything. What are you laughing so hard at? I'm doing the weed still there. Um, Welcome to the club. understand my pain now. But normally I wouldn't say that. Like, my husband is the one who is like, he's blunt and he just says it how it is and embarrasses me. Love you. Um, <laughs> That's how Mike is. Yes. yes. And he'd be like, no, this is ridiculous. And so I just like said, like, is there anything you can do? Like, I was so nice about it. And then she came back from her manager and was like, yes, all seven of you guys can sit together. I was like, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Like, <laughs> I was really nice about it. I did not mean to be a Karen. It I think that might have been the, the first time I've been a Karen in my life. All right, Karen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my husband had an issue tonight with um, some some 
overly crowded room with my kid. It was a dance class. Let me just put it out there. But he said, am I a total Karen? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are. And I was kind of like, hmm. I mean, kind I mean of. a little, but chop my I mean, hair I get off it, and give, a me the, <laughs> give me the haircut. Just gel it up in the back. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was Kate, right? For John and Kate, was it? <laughs> She's the one who started that hairdo. Yes, <laughs> totally did. Guys, for if a, I ever show up with that hairdo, time. please just smack me in the face and be like, stop it. No, the hairdo you were supposed to show up with was an updo with dingleberries curled <laughs> in tight curls. <laughs> dingleberries. Colored with gray. my mutton chops. Colored gray. Gray. <laughs> your sideburns. Gray sure. spiral curled dingleberries. You can probably get from like um, Amazon. Just glue on some mutton chops. Does anybody have like a, a quarter inch hair curling iron? Oh, I do. You know I do. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. We'll be posting this on, <laughs> on our Facebook and Instagram page, so stay tuned, guys. Oh my god, I can't wait. Oh can my I do gosh. your hair in an up to you? And I'm going to be like, I'm going to iron on a shirt for you that says presidential mutton chops. <laughs> I would wear it. I would totally wear it. Give on me a back, little top hat. On the back, can it say hairy meat sack? Please. <laughs> please, please, for me. You yes. must. Okay, now I've got ideas. I'm off tomorrow, so I'm going to go ahead and get okay, a you shirt do from Hobby Lobby, <laughs> some iron on overall. It's, it's can happening. we make shirts for everybody? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, no, let's not. <laughs> that was the most reluctant yeah I've ever heard. <laughs> no, let's not do that. It's just for you, Lindsay. <laughs> it's just for me. Presidential mutton chops oh, coming no, at you. I left everybody else's shirt at home. <laughs> <laughs> You're just the only one that says. Some people won't even get sack. it because they don't even listen. Oh, I think the chops, three of us are the only ones sack. that will know what we're doing. Can we make sure that they ask me about my podcast? <laughs> Like at the tipsy test. No, <laughs> oh, that's side. perfect. Ask me about my big hairy meat sack. <gasps> <laughs> Yours can say that. Mine will say, ask me about my semi. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. I was thinking like a truck. Ask me about I got lost. <laughs> I was lost for a second. Ask I'm, me I'm about you. my ghost semi. Ask me about my semi boner. Ghost penis. <laughs> That's too long. Just go go sit by. Can we make that an acronym? S E S E G. Yours can say ask me about no, Luba. Semi erect ghost boner? S E G B. Yeah, S E G B. Segba. Segba. my Segba. Gosh. Wait, Segpa? Except oh penis penis with yeah. with me and how like not <laughs> you know how I am somebody would ask me it? no somebody would ask me that and I would just get beat red and walk away. <laughs> you you'll put some duct tape and say don't please, please don't, don't. <laughs> and then on the back please just don't talk to me at all <laughs> don't even look at me <laughs> hashtag introvert <laughs> you're not you are not i am too an introvert please look at us <laughs> we are way more <laughs> introverted than you are oh dear and i was concerned we didn't have anything to talk about that's <laughs> we always have things to talk about when we don't see each other for a week it's only been like four days i know like, really <laughs> it was saturday <laughs> All right, are we going to play roll the, spin the wheel? I was like, roll the dice? Roll the spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Do it. Roll the spin the wheel. Roll the spin the wheel. Got it. And one, two. There it goes. I hear it. The wheel of fortune wheel. 
Mm. Who goes first? Funny story. Is it you? It's me. Yeah. We said that you should go first. That makes sense. Who goes I second? I didn't. We're not going to do it until. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Oh, we have to wait? I, I thought excited. we I thought we did it all at the beginning last time. No. Fact. Okay. Okay, your turn. All right. Start us off with part two of the skinwalkers. <laughs> Does anybody else think of skin flute? No? What's skin flute? I oh, didn't okay. know that until what that was until what you is told that? me. Oh, she doesn't know either. Great. I don't know well, either. I do know. I just don't know. <laughs> no, she doesn't no, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a penis. The <laughs> way you just said that to Lee Nonchalant. It's a penis. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's all jacked up anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> you never heard the term play the skin flute? <laughs> I've heard lots of euphemisms for penis, but not a skin flute. Did you, did you say euphemisms? <laughs> Isn't that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> am I wrong? Damn it, am I wrong? <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Lindsay, I love you. And it's not the three <laughs> martinis and half of a... I swear that I am off. very intelligent. <laughs> She's got I went a master's. To, I can vouch. I went to school for six years. Like, I'm smart. I just... <laughs> Words are hard sometimes, <laughs> and especially when they plug me with, like, alcohol, not stop. <laughs> plug you with alcohol? <laughs> what is the word? Fill? Fill me. That's not the word I'm thinking of. No. I don't like the word. Pump. Pump me with alcohol. Okay. Like, pump me. Yeah. <laughs> plug. <laughs> okay, Sarah, please start us off. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and drink my martini and ignore everybody in this world. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Everything's um, great. So we're gonna talk about Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Woohoo! Part two. Part two. Skinwalker Ranch is located in northeast Utah, and it's also known as Sherman Ranch, and it's also known as UFO Ranch. Okay. What? What? what, what? This is why you picked it. The lore and legends surrounding this location include UFOs, aliens, cattle mutilations, crop circles, and our old friends, the Navajo, which is called Mm -hmm. Skinwalkers. Okay. Mm, It's a hot spot of activity. Remember Mm -hmm. that from last time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the ranch is 480 acres and borders the Ute Indian Reservation, and the Ute Indians have lived on that reservation for more than 150 years. See, they lived on that in the reservation for more than 150 years, and they have said that the bordering ranch is on the path of the Skinwalker, and for that reason, they have been forbidden to go near the property. Lucy loves a good Skinwalker. I know. I was telling her to be quiet. She just gets excited. Scary. Yeah, I get it. So remember that skinwalkers are malevolent, shape-shifting witches of the Navajo people, and the Ute people take them very seriously. As they should. A little background. The Ute and the Navajo used to fight together against their common enemies, but it said that later, when the Ute first acquired horses, they began to abduct the Navajo and sell them to New Mexico slave markets. Mm. So that's not cool. No, it's not. Later, no, it's awful. 
During the Civil War, the Ute allegedly campaigned against the Navajo and are said to be the cause of the Navajo being forced off their land. So this was the long walk of the Navajo to Fort Sumner, New Mexico, we spoke about a lot in the last episode. And because of this, the Ute believed that the Navajo put a curse on the Ute tribe, and after this, skinwalkers began to plague the Ute people. The Ute don't believe that the skinwalkers live on the ranch, but rather hide out in a place called Dark Canyon, which is located nearby. Okay. What is known as Skinwalker Ranch first belonged to the Myers family in 1905, and the family stayed on the property until 1987. So, time. yeah, it is. I was going to like do several math. generations. <laughs> Let's see. I was 80, do math, 86. 87? <clears throat> I thought you said 1901. It's 1905. 1905 to 1987? Mm-hmm. 82 years. <gasps> Nailed it. Good job. Well, you guys, I'm While they lived there, they didn't make any reports of any strange occurrences, but their neighbors did, and in the meantime, unusual events began to occur in the surrounding areas. Starting in the 1950s, there were numerous reports of UFOs, and this continued throughout the next several decades. Interestingly, there were not, these are not the first reports of strange aircraft in the sky, and the earliest mention dates from the late 1700s when Spanish explorers looking for the Spanish trail passing through this area reported seeing craft in the sky over their campfires at night. Yes, ma'am. Was this before airplanes? 1700? Yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, (laughs) edit that out. No. (laughs) I was trying to remember when the first airplane. (laughs) I was trying to remember when the first airplane. I know it's Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and it was the Wright brothers, but I couldn't remember what year. It was in the late 1800s, right? I would have guessed 1900, but I don't know. I feel like it was certainly not the 1700s. (laughs) Please pause while we figure out when airplanes were invented. (laughs) Because we're smart. Okay. Well, I sound like an idiot. 1903. <laughs> Barely into the 1900s, so hey, I was so, okay. I was close. So yeah, back to the 1700s when okay. Spanish explorers <laughs> saw strange lights, like strange craft in the sky. Can you imagine though? Like you have no idea of that's why I was like, of, that's crazy craft. Yeah, and you see something like that at night. I bet they were terrified. There are hundreds hundreds of ufo reports and these include strange fireballs aircraft that are 20 fireball is that what you wanted to do Uh, pitbull style yeah fireball Uh yep okay okay aircraft that are 20 to 30 feet long to as large as the size of a football field they were described as round 50 feet oval Do you remember what she thought a football field was 50 feet long? Y'all are not helping my case that I'm intelligent at all. That was so cute. <sighs> 50 feet, right? It was 100 feet. <laughs> it's 100 yards. 100 yards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's 100 yards. I know that. 10 yards for sale. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, um, let's see. They are described as round, oval, cigar-shaped, and triangular. So, just a, a editor's note: 
and current day note. So remember back in my Falcon Lake UFO story? Yes. Those were also described as cigar-shaped. Yes, they were. Listen to that episode. Just wanted to make note of that for the non-believers in the room. Um, Some surrounded by glowing green light. (laughs) Others emitted wavy red beams. And others shot colored lights from their underbelly. So by 1970, the Utah Highway Patrol was getting so many UFO calls that troopers just stopped filing reports. And around the same time, local ranchers began to report bizarre cattle mutilations. And these cattle mutilations were reported around the same time that the UFOs were reported. So they seemed to have some kind of a connection. So back to the Myers, they vacated the ranch in 1987 and it was empty for seven years before it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman in 1994. The couple moved in with their two children and their livestock, which some reports say were expensive cows, like Angus cows and... Good beef. (laughs) Sorry to the vegetarians. Um, And they were surprised to find that the previous owners had placed deadbolt locks uh, in all the doors and the windows, both inside and outside the house. And even the kitchen cabinets had deadbolts on them. Hmm. Were the aliens looking for food? So, we'll get to that. Angus. <laughs> good for the Angus beef. But it's... In the cabinets. <laughs> they knew. Oh, good. Probably not in the cabinets. I, I mean, know, I don't know. Jerky. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can make some jerky. Yeah, yeah. Angus jerky. Um, but that's just something to make note of because the Myers family, remember, didn't make any reports of anything. However, they seem to have been concerned with something. Mm. They wanted to be locked in and or out and keep the cabinets closed. Weird. Also, at both ends of the house, iron stakes and heavy chains had been installed, but the Shermans assumed it was just used for large guard dogs. So the very day they took possession, the family spotted a large coyote, or maybe a wolf, in one of their pastures, and uh, it soon approached, making its way to a livestock pen. It then grabbed a calf by the nose, trying to drag it through the the corral bars. Uh, Terry Sherman and his father then began to beat the animal to make it release the calf, but they were unsuccessful. When that failed, Sherman shot the animal at point-blank range, but still, the wolf held on to the calf. After another shot, it released the calf and just stood there calmly looking at the men. And after a few more shots, it trotted off. Dang. Right. Amazingly, there was no blood or sign of injury in the animal. The men started following the tracks of the animal for about a mile before they just suddenly ended, like it had just vanished. This was foreshadowing of events that would follow. So, a few weeks later, when Gwen Sherman was in her car, she encountered a wolf that was so large, it was, its back was parallel with the top of her window. Oh, God. And the large wolf was accompanied by a dog-like animal that she couldn't identify. Hmm. So, over the next two years, the Shermans, as well as their neighbors, reported seeing a number of strange animals in the area. And these include exotic, multicolored birds, not native to the region, as well as tall, dark beasts that resembled a Bigfoot or Sasquatch. There it is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Weird spot for a Sasquatch. Are you a Bigfoot believer? I forget. <clears throat> We've talked about this. 
Uh, not not as much. No. Okay. So on one occasion, <laughs> aliens, sure, but big aliens for sure. <laughs> but mm, the Sasquatch. I mean, that sounds super judgy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, that's how I feel. I'm being honest. Aliens, yes. Lindsay's being super judgy. I wasn't even <laughs> the one who said that. You hinted at it, and I, I did, agreed. I did imply it. <laughs> she picked up on it, but she was just more sarcastic with it. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe don't touch that part. I was trying to angle it more towards me. Okay, sorry. Okay. Oh. Um, let's see. On one occasion, the Shermans <laughs> saw Oops. a strange hyena-like creature attacking one of their horses, which they described as low to the ground, heavily muscled, weighing perhaps 200 pounds with curly red hair and a bushy tail. 200 okay. pounds for a hyena? Is Pennywise in hyena form. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe. I feel like a hyena is not that big curly to be red 200 hair. pounds. <clears throat> right. And that's the problem. <laughs> so as Mr. Sherman approached the animal, it vanished before his eyes. Afterward, they checked the horse and found numerous claw marks on its leg. And after a few months later, a neighbor reported seeing a similar beast running across their property. So the Shermans, like their neighbors, also saw strange lights and flying objects, including more than a dozen on one evening alone. On many of the occasions they spied these UFOs, they also experienced the death or disappearance of seven of their best cows. Four disappeared without a trace, and three more were found dead and partially mutilated. Gosh. So... I'm really excited for this. One of the de- dead cows had a particular had, had a peculiar. Excited about the dead cows? <laughs> yeah, one of the dead cows had a peculiar hole in the center of its left eyeball, but oh, was otherwise untouched. Gosh, you <laughs> son of a bitch! <laughs> you son of a bitch! I just another was found with a similar hole in its left eye okay can we stop it and a six inch hole about an inch deep had been carved out of its rectum ew yeah wait this is disgusting the last cow to be killed and mutilated had been seen alive by the sherman son just five minutes earlier Mm. and it had a six inch wide 18 inch deep hole i don't want to hear it cord out of its rectum <laughs> okay i don't want to hear it. <laughs> that ex- eyeball <laughs> that extended into the body cavity oh my gosh dang ow yeah in all three cases there was no trace of blood <laughs> a chemical odor was okay was apparent and no evidence of predators footprints or tire tracks were noted no blood even from the animal that was mutilated right it's weird of the cattle that disappeared, one seemed to have been magically lifted from the snow, so its hoof prints led into a field and then just stopped. The ground was littered with broken twigs and branches, and the tops of the trees appeared to have been cut off. Other strange events were also happening during these years. So pastures would unexplainably light up at night. The sounds of heavy machinery could be heard... Um that seemed to be operating under the earth and poltergeist type activities were occurring such as items disappearing only to reappear at later times and strange disembodied voices often speaking in unfamiliar languages were heard from above Mm, don't like that part which the poltergeist activity could be the reason for the deadbolt on the cabinets Ah, so like things wouldn't fall out of the cabinets or so things couldn't just sense. fly open. Things Bolted couldn't down. fly at people. 
That makes sense. That type of a thing. Crop circles of flattened grass were found on the ranch, and the final straw occurred one evening in May of 1996 when Sherman was outside with three of his dogs. And I don't like this story, but here we are. When he noticed a blue orb darting around in the field near the ranch house, he urged his dogs to go after it. The dogs chased and barked at the orb as they followed it into some thick brush. Sherman heard them make three terrible yelps, and when he called for them, they didn't respond. The next morning, when he went to look for his dogs, he found only three round, greasy lumps. He waited till the next morning. (laughs) Yeah. He just couldn't see. Right. Well, I mean, would, would, would you go out by yourself? I don't know. I'd probably be too stupid to not be like... No, probably not at night. You're right. Probably not at night. So he found three round greasy lumps with what appeared to be a scorch spot, and the dogs were never seen again. What a Mm. terrible description. Greasy lumps? Greasy lumps. Okay. Okay. (laughs) My little (laughs) greasy lump. That's going to be right up there with Harry Meat Sacks. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Greasy lumps and Harry Meat Sacks. Okay. All right. I don't know how I got here. (laughs) I don't know how we got here either. In my lumps to my hump. After two years of these terrifying (laughs) events, the family began to publicly speak out. And the first claims about the strange claims. The first claims about the strange claims? (laughs) The first claims about the unusual events at the ranch appeared in the Salt Lake City, Utah, Deseret News, and later in the Las Vegas Mercury as a series of articles by journalist George Knapp. The Shermans planned to sell the property. However, before they got the chance, Robert Bigelow, a millionaire businessman, uh, also a believer in ufology and the founder of the National Institute for Discovery science offered to buy the property after he read about the events in the newspaper hold up i've never heard of the term ufology i haven't either read it you haven't no like a ufologist i've not studies ufos that's fascinating exactly right yeah because you know there was a term the study of i get that i just didn't know this is proof that you are so smart i'm trying to prove that i'm smart guys (laughs) it's just the alcohol that makes me dumb (laughs) oh Mm -hmm. um what happens at work no, low blow, dude. Low blow. I'm joking. You're the best. You're the best. Ufology. Didn't know that word existed. Didn't yeah, know there I was such a thing as thing, ufologist. Yeah. It does. But I appreciate their work. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate Ufologist. <laughs> I do. I appreciate I mean that. They, they thank you. Sincerely. Um, Bigelow <laughs> bought the ranch for $200,000, contingent on a non-disclosure agreement with the Shermans, who agreed not to talk further about the events on the ranch. He then began to establish a compound with high-tech sensing equipment, PhD-level field investigators, scientists, and a security detail which guarded the property 24 hours a day. The investigators were tasked with collecting evidence, interviewing witnesses, and searching for explanation. In 2007, the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program was a secret investigatory investigator how do you say that i think you were right the first time investigatory investigatory (laughs) investigatory investigatory i cut out like half the word (laughs) all right so that you were right the first time all right investigatory that sounds right effort funded by the united states defense department (laughs) i forgot that whole sentence already Okay, um, let's see. So the ATIP, 
Advanced Aviation Threat <laughs> Identification Program. We are great with acronyms. Ah, uh, tip. Ah, uh, tip. Ah, uh, tip. tip. Uh, yeah, it was a secret investigatory effort funded by the United States Defense Department to study unidentified flying objects, primarily on Skinwalker Ranch. In the next several years, $22 million were spent on the program, which investigated reports of unidentified flying objects and was run by military intelligence official Luis Elizondo from the Pentagon. That's okay. beautiful. I don't know if that was correct. No. It sounded, <laughs> it's okay. It sounded, it sounded right. great. Oh, thank you. The shadowy program was largely funded... At the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time and who has long had an interest in space phenomena. He was... like a phenomena. Okay. He was also a longtime friend of Robert Bigelow, so the owner of the ranch. This information, however, was not publicly known at the time until it was released by the New York Times in 2017. So when the story broke, a Department of Defense official confirmed the government-funded program, and Senator Reid admitted his complicity. Um, but today, parts of the study remain classified, and the Department of Defense has never officially acknowledged the existence of the program. But interestingly, it does admit that the program was shut down in 2012. So it doesn't admit that it, there was one, but it also says it was shut down. Hmm. Okay. Isn't that admitting that there was one? Um, Is it, though? <laughs> depends on who you are. We'll never, we'll never say. I mean, we don't have a program by that name, but if we, we did, shut it shut down, down in 2012. It's similar to that. We'll Karen, never say. Karen, stop asking questions. <laughs> Karen would like to speak to the UFO manager. <laughs> Excuse me. Do you know who I am? <laughs> so that year, the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Science Studies, so he changed the name, lost its funding from the Department of Defense as the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, or ah, tip <laughs> contract expired and was not renewed. So this was primarily due to Luis Elizondo's explanation that officials feared the public might learn about the program and see it as misappropriation of taxpayer funds. I mean, we're just trying to protect against UFOs. What's the problem? I mean, space defense. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Or against something that there's no evidence of. I mean, you still gotta protect. Uh, well, she's giving me a death player. <laughs> I had to say it. You, you have, know I had to say it. Don't even start with me, okay? <laughs> let's let's fund something to, to protect us from Sasquatch, too. Okay. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> okay, while well, these two fight about all of this. Well, that was a, I was agreeing. <laughs> In the meantime, the ranch was sold for about $4.5 million in 2016, and Bigelow's company disbanded um, that same year. The Hicken Ranch Road, which is the public road that the Skinwalker Ranch was on, was illegally gated. And a representative for that ranch approached the county saying that rampant trespassing issues had led the owners to make the road private, and the request was granted. So there's now no access to the property today, and gates block the entrance with large warning signs. So it seems to be like a mini... Area 51. Area 51. I knew, we, I knew what you were thinking. Yep. And that is mm-hmm. the story of Skinwalker Ranch. Love it. Very cool. Very interesting. Yeah? I didn't um, know too much about it. I have a question yep. for the master's educated person in the room. Oh my gosh. So me. Yeah. Please proceed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, what? 
Um, I'm just curious. There, you're saying there hasn't been evidence for UFOs. Has there been ev- evidence against UFOs? <laughs> I knew this nice was book. coming, which is why <laughs> I know. I wanted to finish my story. I, I wouldn't say there's evidence against it, no. Okay. 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 I, I've always said, and I told you guys, I don't believe in UFOs and aliens, but there's always a realm of possibility, right? There's a realm of possibility I mean, I for like a lot that's of things. better than how, how you used to explain it. I mean, <laughs> there's a realm of possibility. Like, I don't progress. think you guys are idiots or dumb for believing in it. Thank you. I oh, just don't. <laughs> Like, I can, I understand how Okay, can. spin the wheel. Yeah. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Next is... Oh, this is awkward. I didn't take my name out. I'm going to remove my name. And next is... So it wasn't me. It, wasn't it was me, me again. No. <laughs> next is the first one of us that's going to be abducted. Lindsay. Yay! <clears throat> Okay, so do you remember when I was four white closet deep and I dedicated the story to Sarah? <laughs> yes, I do. And you and got Sarah a, was sad. You we got offended. Dedicate one to her. So I'm dedicating the story to you. I do remember. Can I can I make a um pre? Oh no, a prologue. A prologue. Can yeah, I make a? Yes. Can I make a, a statement? Pre-prologue. You can make a statement. Yes. This is a podcast. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I have a hypothesis that this is going to be about one of my greatest fears, and I. <laughs> I just want to say that your dedication to Sarah was about one of her greatest <laughs> loves, and loves. I'm and I'm highly offended. I just want to point out that both of you think I'm a witch, <laughs> and I want to point out <laughs> that you assumed the worst of me because this is not about one of your greatest fears. It is about a story. Do you remember when I told you that I was going to do a story about a certain place so you could get some attention from that place? Australia. Right. It was about Australia. I everything I've ever said back. <laughs> Did so, I guess right? Yes, you guessed right. We're going to Australia. We are doing Australia's biggest unsolved case. Man, you know how I feel about unsolved cases. I know cases. how you guys feel about unsolved you know cases. I but I feel about Australia. <laughs> I know how you feel good, about Lindsay. Australia. Make and I know good. that this is going to get a lot of traction, hopefully, from Australia, guys. So I'm doing this for Boydston, <laughs> even though she assumed the worst of me right now. And okay. That kind of hurt my feelings. I'm ready. Have you guys heard of the mystery of the Somerton Man? No. No. Oh, I'm so excited, y'all. This is interesting. I'm so excited to go down under. Okay, so. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I think it was the way you said it. If it was in an accent, I would have never dared to say it. Oh my goodness. But it was, I'm so excited to go down under. (laughs) I'm 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 an I'm an American. I can only speak. <laughs> she just snorted too. Not in an accent. Not in an Australian accent. Wait, you do accents all the time. <laughs> you try. And they sound great. Anyways, sounded real funny. What are you listening to? Oh, how um, you want to pronounce it? You can just ask me how to pronounce it. I'm an Australia expert. <laughs> it's Persian. It's a Persian word. Oh, oh, that's why. Yeah, it's she's like... also Persian expert. No, so. just Australia. I know. Hold on. Ask me anything about the bush. I listened to it today. <laughs> I'm ignoring all of y'all. Did you guys see that picture of all the sea turtles migrating to the Great Barrier Reef? No. It was the sweetest little picture I've ever seen. 
That's sweet. Okay. But then I got sad because I was thinking of the straws in their noses. So this is also known as... Okay. <laughs> Does that make you sad? Ignoring all of that. You sound like a Visco girl. Ooh. What the hell is that? VSCO girl? It's like yeah. a... Kind of like nine turtles. Yeah. We'll have to show you later. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Have break. you ever seen that picture of the it's sea turtle? Or that, that video of the sea turtle getting the straw pulled out of his nose? That's probably how Visco Girls originated. It's so sad. Yes. It's crying. All right, okay. are we ready? I don't want to hear about it. That's horrific. All right, so this is the mystery <laughs> of the summer tun man. It is are a- you saying summer tan? Summer tun. T-O-N. Tun. Summer tun. Okay. Yep. So it is an unsolved case of an unidentified man that was found dead at 6.30 a.m. on December 1st, 1948. He was found on the Summerton Park Beach, which is why he's called the Summerton Man. That makes sense. Yeah. Just south of Adelaide, South Australia. In my notes, I put, Boydson, this is for you. Oh. <laughs> oh. Shout out to you. And I told you I was going to tag Australia. We're going to get an Australia listener. At Australia. Um, The man was found. <laughs> that is how you lose Australia. <laughs> <laughs> That's my southern accent coming out real bad right there. That man was found. He's found there. guys, it comes out every now and then, and that was real bad. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've heard it yet. That was real bad. It comes out at work sometimes. It does come out at work sometimes. <laughs> um, the man was found was laying thinking. in the sand across from the crippled children's home, which just Aww. makes me so sad. Um, he was lying back with his head resting against the seawall with his legs extended and his feet crossed. So a lot of people thought he was just asleep. Oh, for a long time. <laughs> Sounds kind comfy. Of. Like, they thought he was asleep for a long on. time and they would yeah. walk by him. And then like another, the same couple walked by him like an hour later and he had not moved position. So they're like, something's up here. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So at first they thought he died while sleeping because it was just like such a comfortable pose, you know? So in his pockets, he had an unused second class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city that may have not been used. Um, a U.S. manufactured narrow aluminum comb, a half-empty packet of some juicy fruit gum, mm, an Army Club cigarette <laughs> packet, which contained seven cigarettes of different brands, and a quarter full box of Bryant and May matches. Okay. So several witnesses said that they saw him um, the previous night. So remember, they found him at like 6.30 a.m., and that's when they declared him dead. So witnesses said the previous night they saw an individual resembling the man laying on his back in the same spot in the same position. They saw him around 7 p.m. They noticed that he extended his right arm and then dropped it limply to his side. And that's believed to be the last time anybody saw him move. Another couple saw him um, about half an hour later. The streetlights were on at that time. They did not see him move during this time, but they stated that they thought it was odd he was not reacting to the mosquitoes, like wasn't swatting them away, but they thought he's probably either just drunk or asleep. So another witness came forward 11 years later in 1959 and reported that he and three others saw a well-dressed man carrying another man on his shoulders along the beach the night before the body was found. Remember that? We're going to come back to that. The 11 years later or the... The 11 years later. Okay. Carrying a man across his shoulders. This is Weekend of Bernie's, isn't it? <laughs> I swear. So this is what we would call like a John Doe. So his ex- or his appearance, they thought he was British. They thought that he was aged about 40 to 45 years old and was in top physical condition. He was 5'11 with gray eyes. He had fair to ginger colored hair that was slightly gray around the temples. Mm. 
His hands and his nails showed no signs of any manual labor. His toes met in a wedge shape like those of a dancer or someone who wore <clears throat> boots with pointed toes. He had pronounced high calf muscles, which again <laughs> is consistent with those who wore boots or performed ballet. And he was dressed in a white shirt, a red, white, and blue tie, brown trousers, socks and shoes, a brown knitted pullover, and fashionable gray and brown double-breasted jacket of American tailoring. All the labels on his clothes were removed. There was no hat, no wallet, and they said it was unusual to not wear a hat in 1948. That was pretty typical of men, and he was dressed really nicely, too. He was clean-shaven. He had no ID on him, um, which police started to think maybe this was a suicide because of that, like he didn't want to be found. Then fingerprints and dental records were unable to be matched. So during the autopsy, they estimated the time of death around 2 a.m. on December 1st. They said his spleen was about three times the normal size. The last meal that he ate was a pastry eaten about three to four hours prior to his death. The pathologist, Dr. Dwyer, said, I am quite convinced the death could not have been natural. The poison, I suggest, was a barbiturate or a soluble hypnotic. But it was not believed to be from the pastry. So they embalmed the body on December 10th after they still were unable to identify the body or the cause of death. So they waited 10 days and they made like a plaster basically of his from like his chest up um, to still be able like in case people could identify him that way. But they had to do something with the body. Mm -hmm. So January 14th, two weeks later, they find a suitcase at the Adelaide Railway Station. So remember, he had a train ticket and it was a brown suitcase with its label removed, which is why it raised their suspicion. It had been checked into the station cloakroom after 11 a.m. on November 30th, and it's believed that it was owned by the man. So inside, there was some pretty typical stuff like clothes, slippers, underwear, pajamas, shaving items, things like that. Um, there was a screwdriver, a table knife that was cut down to a short, sharp instrument, a pair of scissors with sharpened points, a stenciling brush, which was used by third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo, and then a piece, some thread that was an unusual type not available in Australia that was used to repair the lining in a pocket of the trousers the dead man wore. So they matched it to that. <laughs> but again, not from Australia. So they're starting to think, hmm, this guy's not from around here. All ID marks on the clothes had been removed, but they did find on a tie in the suitcase, T. Keen. And Keen was also on a laundry bag. And then Keen without the E, so it's spelled K-E-A-N-E. -E, and they found Keen without the E on the end on a singlet, which is like a vest. And then there's three dry cleaning uh, receipts. So police believe that whoever removed the labels either overlooked these three items that had T. Keen or purposely left them on to throw police off because T. Keen was not his name. So it was also pretty common, they said, during that time to remove tags of prior owners if you bought secondhand clothing because this was right after World War II and there was rations still going on. Um, what was unusual was there was no socks whatsoever in the suitcase. Maybe he didn't like socks. I don't know. And there was no correspondence, like no letters, nothing from anybody. So they searched. There's no T. Keen missing in any English-speaking country. They did a nationwide search of dry cleaning, um, but that kind of turned up nothing for those receipts. All they figured out from the suitcase was that some clothing was manufactured in the U.S. and the coat had not been imported. So the man had either been to the U.S. in the past or he had bought it from someone who had. So a whole lot of nothing basically they're getting. So um, basically they did an inquest to look into this some more. What they discovered, his shoes were newly polished, which did not look like he had been traveling or walking around all day. 
An investigating pathologist suggested that the body was brought to the beach after his death because they thought he had been poisoned, but there was no vomiting, there was no convulsions, there was, like, nothing surrounding him, which typically, you guys can probably attest, when people are poisoned, they vomit. Typically, yes. Typically, yes. Okay. And witnesses said they had saw him move, but could never positively identify him, plus it was dark. So Cedric Stanton Hicks, he's a professor of physiology and pharmacology at the University of Adelaide. And he testified about groups of drugs that would be extremely toxic in small oral dose that would be difficult, if not impossible, to identify even if they were suspected because they metabolize so fast. So in court, he wrote down the two drugs that he speculated it could be. He would not say it in court because he was like, these are dangerous. I don't want anybody to know what they're called. Interesting. Um, he was quoted as saying they are quite easily procurable by the ordinary individual from a chemist without a need to give reason for purchase. And so it wasn't even released until the 1980s, 40 years later. Wow. What these drugs were that he suspected, you know, other than the people working on the case. So FYI, it's digitalis. 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 And hmm. Here we go. O-U-A-B-A-I-N. Albane. Albane. Okay. Um, Both of which are cardinalide type cardiac glycosides they're heart drugs they're heart drugs yep i got that from the cardiac yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and again they found it odd that there was no evidence of any vomiting and they speculated that the last convulsion preceding death was the 7 p.m arm jerk move that people saw is the first one digoxin yeah i put in my notes help me out nurses (laughs) so there's still no evidence as the official cause of death but here's where it gets interesting Around the same time as, you know, they're doing all this talk screen and finding all this stuff out, they find a tiny piece of rolled up paper, like, sewn into a secret pocket in his trousers. Ooh. And it says, (laughs) Tamam Shud, which is Persian, and translates to ended or finished. Oh. Okay. So this was torn from a book, and it was found, this book... Um, it's called <laughs> the Got it. Rubaiyat. I'm going to say that. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank Sounds you. Right. Thank you. Uh, the Rubaiyat. Hold on. Now I lost my place. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, wait. Oh, Chewbacca's back. <laughs> <laughs> the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, which is a Persian book of poems. So they conducted a public appeal, basically, and were like, hey, guys, help us find this book. Um, we're looking from... It was basically on the last page, and they're like, look for something that's been torn out of this. So a man did find the book. He was never publicly identified for his own safety. He was given the pseudonym of Ronald Francis. So Francis said he saw an article in the newspaper and then found the book in the backseat of his car after he parked it near the beach where the body was found with the windows down. And he came back to his car, and there was the book. And he was like, I remember seeing it in the newspaper. And he opened it up to the last page, and those words were torn out. Um, so they lined it up and it was a match. Detectives found indentations from handwriting on the back cover that included a telephone number, several uh, texts or lines of text that resembled an encrypted message, like they're just random letters, and then an unidentified number. So the importance of this book of poems, the theme is all about life and basically like live life to the fullest, die with no regrets, all of this stuff. And then the last line is... It's finished or it's done. So that's why police were like, maybe this was a suicide. You know, maybe he was reading this and this really spoke to him about death and sure. all this stuff. <clears throat> so now they're looking at the lines of the indentation that were in there. Um, it's recognized as a code, but code experts have been called in to decipher it for 
50 plus years. Nobody has been successful. They say it will likely never be solved. The phone number, though, did match to someone named Jessica Joe Thompson. She went by Joe. She lived about 1,300 feet north of where the body was found. She said she did not know the dead man or why her phone number was listed. And she also reported, though, that sometime in late 1948, which was the year of the death, that an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and asked a neighbor about her, but she never saw him. So the body at this point was buried, but a plaster cast was made for investigative purposes. She was shown the cast to see if she knew who it was, and police reported she looked like she was about to faint and did not want to look at it for very long and denied knowing it. Suspicious, y'all. She don't know him. Then she asked the police not to keep a permanent record of her name or release her details to protect her reputation. Of what? Exactly. <laughs> like, they just asked you to identify a body and you didn't know. <laughs> Why are you protecting yourself? Got a rep to protect. So they actually agreed, and this actually hurt further investigations into the cold case, because people have been trying to solve it ever since. Right. They just didn't investigate her anymore. Because they didn't know her name. Huh. Well, so. Seems fairly easy. You she, know what? I don't want to be. I don't want to be I don't want to be involved. Anymore. Yes. <laughs> don't talk to me. So they gave her a pseudonym, just like the guy who found the book. Get out of here. Um, and the police stated in 2010, so she died in like, I think it was 2007? I wrote it down further down. But it was you know, recently enough. And so in 2010, the police were given permission by her family to disclose her name. So it took that long. Wow. So she said that she did own a copy of that book, The Rubaiyat, but she gave it to an army lieutenant named Alf Boxel in 1945. He was serving at the time and she worked at a hospital in Sydney because she's a nurse. After World War II, she moved to Melbourne and married... Melbourne. Melbourne. And married, she said she received a letter from Boxel. She told him, hey, dude, I'm married. And they didn't have contact after that. So then police were like, oh, my gosh, maybe this is this Alf guy. That's why he has her number. No, Alf was found alive in July 1949 in Sydney. And his copy of the book was intact. So it wasn't his book. It's not his book. It ain't Alf. <clears throat> but is this not weird that the same Persian book she has? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Before I go into theories about what happened, let me kind of say just where we are right now. So 1994... John Harbour Phillips, the Chief Justice of Victoria and Chairman of the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine, states there seems little doubt that it was digitalis. Mm -hmm. He points to the fact that the organs were engorged as well as lack of evidence of any natural disease. And they said this guy was in peak physical condition. The bust is on display at the South Australian Police Historical Society and has strands of hair on it. Oh. Formaldehyde destroyed much of the DNA with the body. Um, and the suitcase was destroyed in 1986. Lots of people have come forward with possible IDs, but uh, there's no evidence really to back it up. So they're kind of still stuck at square one. So here's theories. Theory number one is that it's widely believed to be a suicide due to the note. Um, they did say the Rubaiyat was popular in Australia during World War II, so many people did have it. Um, and has poems about life and death, and they speculate he took the poison himself and just... Decided to watch the sunset on the beach one last time. Second theory, murdered by Russian spies. Oh. So this... Also one of Ferris, Sarah's favorites. <laughs> yes. Conspiracies. Here we go. In Russian. <laughs> In Russian. <laughs> so this was kind of the start of the Cold War. Um, a few months before the death, a Soviet spy ring was uncovered in Australia nearby. And this kind of goes with the theory that the witness said he saw a man carrying another man. Like, ooh, was that like a Russian spy carrying the body? Joe Thompson may have been a Soviet spy herself. Aww. This was suggested, bum, 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 
by her daughter, Kate Thompson, <gasps> after her death. Oh. Okay. She said, mother had a dark side, a very strong dark side. Mother. She also hmm. said her mom knew Russian. She told her she taught English to newly arrived immigrants from Russia, but would never say how she learned Russia. Russia. Russian. Russian. <laughs> so she was also a nurse and would know about poisons and how they could be detected in the body. Here's some other spy theories, y'all. There are two sites close to Adelaide that were of interest to spies. There was a Radium Hill uranium mine and the Woomera Test Range, which is a military research facility. The man's death coincided with the reorganization of Australian security agents, which would culminate the following year with the founding of the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, ASIO. ASIO? Yeah, sure. ASIO. 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 This would be followed by a crackdown on Soviet espionage in Australia. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Which was revealed by intercepts of Soviet communications under the Venona Project. Alf, the dude who was <laughs> yes. found in July. He was reportedly involved in intelligence work during and after World War II as well. I'm sure he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Most recent theory, this just came out really in 2009, is that he was killed as a result of a relationship gone south. So Derek Abbott, he's an engineer professor at the University of Adelaide. He was like, you know what? I'm going to solve this mystery. Like, he's kind of like us. He was like, you know, I like some true crime. Let's see if we can figure this out. Armchair detective. So he looked. That's what they're called. That's what they're called. An armchair detective. So he was looking at pictures of the man and noticed that he has a feature with his ears, like some um, deformity that only one to two percent of Caucasian population have. Hmm. He also had hypodontia, which is when you're missing your incisor teeth. Okay which is a rare genetic disorder that is only present in 2% of the entire population. Okay. So he's like, hmm, this is interesting. So then he's looking at Joe Thompson and all of this and notices that her eldest son had both of these conditions as well. Oh, okay. The mm-hmm. chance that this is a coincidence has been estimated as between 1 in 10 million and 1 in 20 million. Joe knows what's up. Or she did, anyway. So, Joe's son is Robin. He was 16 months old in 1948, and Joe was unmarried when he was born. Robin didn't even know his father. Hmm. He died in 2009. So, it's discussed that he could have been the son of either Alf Boxel or the Somerton man and passed as Thompson's son. So, she was married by the time he was, the unidentified man was killed, died, whatever we want to call it. So they're saying, maybe this was really his birth father, and something went wrong, and somebody had him killed. Funny enough, Derek Abbott ended up marrying Robin's daughter, Rachel. Oh. Huh. So many twists. <laughs> this <is> crazy. <laughs> so, Robin's daughter, Rachel, is totally on board with this theory. The family, because her dad died in 2009, the family requested um, the unidentified man's body to be exhumed to confirm with DNA, but the attorney general in 2011 denied this request because they're like, this is all just like a conspiracy theory. I'm not going to exhume a body for nothing. They submitted a hair from the plaster in 2017 for DNA sample and found it had a strain only found by 1% of Europeans. Whatever that means. Things are getting... Interesting. He's a rare person. He is, he is a rare person. He's got like three conditions that are very rare. So Robin's family, his wife, his widowed wife, and then his daughter went on 60 Minutes in 2013 to talk about this. So they reported that the daughter of Thompson, so Robin's sister, 
reported that her mother told her she had lied to the police and knew the identity of the man and said that his identity was known to a level higher than the police force. Oh. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the family all pretty much believes that this man was Robin's real biological father. The family all disagrees, though, on having Robin's body exhumed for DNA testing. They're not willing to do that. Um, As of October 14th, 2019, the Attorney General did grant conditional approval for the man, unidentified man to be exhumed in order for a DNA sample to be obtained, but I don't know if anything has happened there yet. So the last kind of thing is the family's like, maybe they were both spies and they still had an affair and because they were spies and they couldn't be seen together and it was just everything went wrong. So like either he killed himself to protect her and their unborn child or he was killed. Bum, bum, bum. That's it. Or all of the above. Or all of the above. (laughs) I know. Isn't that crazy? It is wild. So all these years later, you know, 60 plus years later, we still don't know who this man is or have any idea on him. Somebody's going to know. This is why I struggle with unsolved. I know. Oh, somebody has to know. I fully believe that Joe knows who it is. Yeah. And she completely lied about it. 100%. The fact that her own family has gone on 60 Minutes and been like, she knew. She's a liar. She knew. And they're all like, this was like... My grandfather. We know that this was the father of Robin. It sucks because now we'll no- never know. Now we'll never know. Mm. Damn it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> never know who this man is. Wow. What a, that was crazy. What an episode for dedication. I love that little trip to Australia, though. You're welcome. Thank you. It's a very popular cold case in Australia. Mm. Mm. Should I spin the wheel for the last one? <laughs> I think I think I know who it's going to be. It's me. Oh. And I am taking you guys on a little trip to Lithuania. Oh. Lithuania? What kind of story we got going there? I'll send you a ooh, picture. Ooh, 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 ooh. Can I guess? Yeah. Oh, I should have sent you guys a picture of the unidentified man. Is it vampires? No, but good guess. <laughs> like you're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you a picture. I can't wait to look at it. Hold on. We are going to the Hill of Crosses in Lithuania. I want to go there. You see Do my you picture? Know what it is? Ooh, yeah, that I, is I want to cool. go there. <laughs> I feel like you have to see it to kind of fully appreciate. There's a lot talk of about crosses. It. Why is that person so blurry? <laughs> That's actually really pretty, though. Okay, so it is located in the northern part of Lithuania near a town called Shule. Shule, look at you. Yeah, I wrote it in there how I would pronounce it. I would not have pronounced it like it's spelled. So, anyways, um, it, it is the Lithuanian National Pilgrimage Center. Standing upon a small hill are thousands of crosses that represent Christian devotion uh, and a memorial to Lithuanian national identity. There's no exact number, but it's said to be more than 100,000 and sometimes up to 200,000 are presumed to be there. That's I believe a lot. It. Mm-hmm, there's a lot. All right, so a little background. Lithuania became part of Russian Empire in 1795. They unsuccessfully rebelled against Russian authorities in 1831 and 1863. These two uprisings are connected with beginnings of the hill. It's thought that because families could not locate the bodies of their family members who had died, they began putting crosses um, in their place um, on top of the hill. All right, Hmm. so under Soviet law in Lithuania... Any form of religious instruction is forbidden, or was forbidden. Children were forced to join atheist community, youth organizations, and schools. I didn't know all this stuff in the I history. The Tsar from the Soviet 
suppressed national identity by limiting religious expression, so families were forbidden to honor the dead with proper burial in cemeteries. So from 1944 to 1990, Lithuania was occupied by the Soviet Union. The people of Lithuania continued to travel to the hill and leave their tributes. It was used to demonstrate their allegiance to their original identity, religion, and heritage, and it was seen kind of as an act of peaceful resistance. But the Soviets did not approve. They were not fans. Hmm. So the hill started to be guarded by uh, the KGB. That's how you know it's serious. <laughs> Every time I hear the KGB, do you know what I think of? No. The office. The well, knock <laughs> joke. <laughs> with Dwight? Yes. Yeah. Knock who's there? Who's the there? KGB waits for no one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's who was guarding the hill. The KGB. They wait for no one. <laughs> they were serious. Okay, sorry. Continue. I think of that every time. <laughs> that's a good point. I love that show. All right. Soviets worked hard to remove the new crosses and they bulldozed the site at least three different times. Mm. The crosses were burned or turned into scrap metal and the area was covered with waste and sewage. There were even rumors that the authorities planned to build a dam on a nearby river so that the hill would end up underwater. After each time the hill was leveled, the people of Lithuania would replace the crosses on the hill. And the hill was finally left in peace in 1985. On September 7th of 1983... Pope John Paul II visited the Hill of Crosses and declared it a place for hope, peace, love, and sacrifice. In 1997, a monastery was built and is now home to around a dozen monks. It's located behind the hill, so you can see it from atop of the hill. Hmm. In May of 2013, Chule District Municipality Pality, adopted rules regarding the placement of crosses People are allowed to erect wooden crosses less than three meters in height with no permit. If you can find a spot. <laughs> yeah, you just keep piling it on top of each other, according to the picture. Uh, there's a huge variety of crosses seen at the hill. They range from three meters tall to countless tiny crosses that are hanging on larger ones. In addition, you can find rosaries, pictures of Jesus and the saints, and photos of Lithuanian patriots. When the wind blows, it's said to sound like wind chimes from all the crosses in the wind. Hmm. So some of the hauntings at the Hill of Crosses, there's a couple of myths and folklores that go along with it. I mean, as it would, because it's super old, I feel like. Uh, one legend says that there was once a church where the hill is now, and that during a storm, lightning struck the church and the tempest buried it under sand and rock with everyone still inside. Locals say that you can see the ghost procession of monks at the foot of the hill at sunrise, which, no thank you, monks, ghost, at the hill of a bunch of crosses. Sounds actually fairly peaceful, but I'd also kind of scary. I was going to say, like, a monk ghost has got to be one of the nicest <laughs> ghosts there is. Okay, until you hear the next one. Aren't they supposed and to be silent? <laughs> unless it's the black monk of Pontefact, and then it's not so nice. I feel like what? there was not very nice monks in, in history. The black monk of Pontefact? It's a, there's a house in England, Europe. Somewhere not here. Somewhere England not is here. in Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it. I was trying to find like the right place in Europe though. And I didn't remember if England <laughs> was the right one. Anyway, and um, it's got poltergeist activity and it could be a story later. So never mind. Yeah, okay. let's do that one later. Can I haven't heard about it. it. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> Turns out not all monks are nice. Oh, I okay. thought they were. I thought they were they nice can be and silent. Corrupted. Yeah. 
In the 1300s, Lithuania was mostly a pagan country. It's said that the hill housed a wooden castle guarded by pagans, and it was destroyed by German warrior monks in an attempt to convert them to Christianity. German warrior monks. German warrior monks. Say that five times fast. No, nothing. <laughs> you barely say it once. All right. The story says that they uh, then piled the dead bodies together, which makes the mound, which is now the hill. Mound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I said mound. You guys, come on. <laughs> okay. It said that you can see the spirits of the pagan and monk warriors haunting the hill at night which monk warriors sounds different than the peaceful monks so i mean yeah i, you I know, just you never, never thought of a monk get. as a warrior <laughs> <laughs> there's german monk warriors okay okay <laughs> uh the most famous story is of a father whose daughter became extremely sick as she was on her deathbed he had a vision of a woman who told him to make a wooden cross and place it on a nearby hill if he did so she said his daughter would recover so you can see where this is going. The next morning, he carved a wooden cross and brought it to the hill. When he returned home, his daughter seemed perfectly fine and met him at the door. Um, so from oh. then on out, people began bringing crosses to the hill in an attempt to heal their loved ones or oh. themselves. There is supposedly ghost images captured on a picture. It's supposedly the spirit of a young woman who was murdered while wandering the hills. On a winter evening in 1865. But that has not been confirmed. I'm just saying. Okay. It's all folklore. Anyways. Whisper it. No, the, no. the Hill of Crosses is very real. And I sent you all with the picture. And there's tons of pictures. And they're... It's kind of pretty. Like, I feel it's like... It's kind of cool. Yeah. Right? I would for sure go there. That's it. That's all I got for you on the Hill of Crosses in Lithuania. I kind of... I mean, yeah. I Bucket think it's list. pretty. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like <laughs> to like see a warrior monk. leading up to... And, and it just... Everywhere you, you read on the research, it's like, the Hill of Crosses just is. Nobody preserves it. Just basically everybody who goes there takes care of it. Mm-hmm. There's stairs everywhere. It's a whole roadway leading up there. I mean, crosses everywhere. Crosses galore. Crosses galore. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. Yeah, Thanks well, so much for that. Gonna go to yeah, let's Lithuania. go to Lithuania, guys, after Australia. Well, I'm sure we gotta go there first, right? Yes. <laughs> yes we have a lot of places on our bucket list we do there. thought that place was cool thought we'd check it out someday yeah <laughs> awesome that's this all I got good. for well, thanks guys for listening to us you can always follow us on facebook and instagram at the tipsy ghosts and email us your stories and experiences to the tipsy ghosts at gmail.com if you enjoyed what you heard give us a like and rate us on apple podcasts but only if it's nice because I'm sensitive. Like thumbs down. Yeah. We'll hurt our feelings and we'll think about it for a year. So that's, she's it's joking, accurate. but it's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Not a joke at all. All right. Yeah, thanks guys so. for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.